I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I uh, have spent the day going through old episodes of this show and cataloging the 200-plus episodes that we have, and it has been my privilege and my honor to be a part of this project for several years now. And um, one of the amazing things that happens is that we often lately have guests who are here because listening to the Bubble Hour helped them put together their patchwork of recovery. It was a part of their recovery, and after a period of time, they decide to give service by coming on the show and joining us. And sometimes um, these people reach out to me, and we develop a bond, and we write back and forth, and, and we get to know each other a little bit and encourage each other in our recovery. And that is the case with today's guest, Marie. Marie wrote to me over a year ago now to tell me that she was really struggling in her first early days and that the bubble hour had been helping her. And I wrote back and back and forth, back and forth for a little bit. And since that day, uh, we have been cheering each other on and just watching amazing things unfold in Marie's life. And Marie is a ray of sunshine. It just so happens that uh, we even got to meet in person not that long ago. And, you know, it just goes to show how um, when we reach out, the world opens up to us. So I'm delighted that this amazing woman is on the show today to share her story. And I'm really grateful to have her in my life. And it is this podcast that brought us together. So having said all that, Marie, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Oh, thank you so very much, Jean. It's such an honor to be here, just an absolute honor. I can remember when I first started listening to the the Bubble Hour, I was thinking one day I hope to be a guest on the show. I thought that with such sincerity. Uh, Jean, I've decided I would like to read my story just so it doesn't go all over the place. I have a tendency at times to ramble. So I, I did take time to write my story out, and I would like to read it if that's okay with you. I would love um, that. Go right ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Jean. Um, I grew up as the oldest of five children. I am unable to share childhood memories with you, as I have none. My earliest memory is around the age of 10. These few memories are very vague. No family pictures. There was no camera in our home. As children, we had no family other than our parents. No grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. My parents did not entertain or have friends over. It was just the seven of us. I don't remember ever questioning or wondering why we did not have an extended family. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I discovered why we had no extended family. At ages 12 and 8, my mom and aunt were put on a ship from England and sent to Canada. My mom never saw our family after that, nor did she ever share that with us. They were called the forgotten children. My dad, my ne- sorry, I've got to find my spot again. This, um, my, ne- my dad never talked about his family. The only thing we know was his parents were either divorced or separated, and one brother lived with his mom and the other with the dad. As I got older, I questioned him. He would get visibly upset and told me to let it go. He said he wanted nothing to do with the past. My father was an alcoholic. I knew we were very poor. Most of the fights were about the lack of money. My mom was in no way responsible for our money problems. My dad needed to be in control of everything. My mom never worked outside of the home, never drove a car, never had a bank account, or went grocery shopping on her own. This is why I have such a high need to be in control. I saw my mom having zero control. Unfortunately, I did not see that alcohol would soon be in control. 
I, sorry, unfortunately, I did not see that alcohol would soon be in control, and I would be totally out of control, just like my dad. One of my most vivid childhood memories is hiding in the closet with my sister when my dad was drunk. We would put pillows over our heads, trying to drown out the noise. Fear gripped us. I remember having my arm around my sister as she would rock back and forth. I needed to protect her, offering her words of comfort. I was probably around 10 years old, and my sister would have been five. We would stay in the closet until we knew Dad had left the house or had gone to bed. Today I realize why I'm super sensitive to saving and protecting others. It started in the bedroom closet with my sister. I would never have friends over if Dad was home. He was a living time bomb. Anything could set him off, and then all hell would break out. I was so ashamed and embarrassed. This is where I learned to hide my life allowing others to see only what I wanted them to see. As soon as I got a social insurance number, I looked for work. I started working part-time at Safeways through high school. The staff loved my dad. They thought he was absolutely charming and funny. He would occasionally buy them gifts. This was not the dad we lived with. My dad wore many masks. These masks became a part of my life, too. When I was 17 years old, I met my soulmate, We had been together for 50 years. We dated five years before marrying, and he would say, it's like walking on eggshells around your home. We spent very little time at my house. I know this made my mom very sad, as she loved spending time with us, and this made me feel very guilty. We never touched alcohol as teenagers. I remember on our wedding night, a friend gave us a bottle of champagne. We poured ourselves a glass, and then ended up pouring it down the sink. When my hubby finished school, we moved to a small housing site six hours away from our family and friends. We were totally isolated. A year later, we had our first baby, and she was colicky. Every night, yes, every single night, she would cry from 7 to 11. It was like an alarm went off, and she would start her nightly routine. We tried everything to calm her down. Nothing worked. I'm thinking that she was picking up on my nervous energy. When she finally was asleep, we would pour ourselves a drink, one drink back then was enough. I can't tell you when my drinking crossed the line. I can tell you with certainty what escalated it, why I believe I became an alcoholic. Growing up in an alcoholic home, I never witnessed any communication or coping skills. Dad screaming, mom retreating. Hardships arise, have a drink. That was my dad's coping mechanism. Bringing the kids home a chocolate bar every night after work was the only way he would show affection. I was also too embarrassed and ashamed to invite friends into our home, never wanting to be at home, running away to avoid the conflicts and drama. I would do whatever it took to keep peace in the family. I began working at age 15 to provide groceries, hoping this would ease financial pressures. Obviously, it was never enough as the drinking and fighting continued. My life became a life of never enough. I was always struggling with being enough, having enough, and doing enough. Now alcoholism starts to come to play. I cannot stand conflict of any kind. It makes me totally uncomfortable. I need to run away from it. The only two communication skills I witnessed were screaming and the silent treatment. I chose the silent treatment. Like my mom, I could go days without communicating while festering on the inside. To numb this festering, I would have a drink. The drink would provide me liquid courage to speak my mind. The problem was, whatever the issue was, it had become totally blown out of proportion. My mind made it so much worse. Also, the liquid courage started bringing up lots of other past resentments. I never wanted to let anyone down, so when I needed to let go of a business that was putting us deeply in debt, I kept it going. I did not want to disappoint our staff or patrons. What would they think if I closed the doors? Meanwhile, hiding the debt from my husband, who provided so well for us. I could not share what I perceived as my failure with him. Feelings of shame and guilt filled every pore of my being. I tried to wash these feelings away with alcohol. My drinking now is totally out of control. Fast forward to October 1994. My mom died of a sudden heart attack while we were on holidays together in Phoenix. We drove home with her ashes. We were expecting our first grandchild in March of 1995. 
my mom was over the top in becoming a great-grandmother. Unfortunately, this was not to be. When our grandson was born on the first day of spring, March the 21st, he was my miracle baby. The love he brought into our lives helped me immensely in the grieving process. Shortly after his birth, I decided to quit drinking. Just like that, I did not pick up a drink for 10 years. Unfortunately, I did not know about recovery back then. Nothing in my life changed other than the fact that I was no longer drinking. Being in recovery now, I have come to learn that I was a dry drunk. During these 10 years, my hubby would often say to me, there's no reason you cannot have a glass of wine with dinner. Like myself, he had heard it, many t- he had heard it said many times over how an occasional glass of wine is good for your health. Seeds were being planted. One afternoon, just out of the blue, I decided to pour a bit of rum into my Diet Coke. Once again, I'm lying and hiding. Looking back, I should have just been honest with my family. Once again, I did not want to disappoint anyone. How disappointed I was in myself. Once again, living a lie of deceit. Once again, feeling ashamed of myself. I felt I could moderate my drinking this time. My life was basically stress-free. At least it was stress-free until I put myself back into bondage. Fast forward to to 2017 when divine intervention stepped in. I cannot tell you how I came upon the bubble hour. All I can tell you with complete sincerity is that it restored my life. Not only did it restore my life, it took me on the best journey of my life, recovery. Every night going to bed, I would put my earbuds in and listen to the bubble hour, nonstop throughout the night. And I'm just going to say something here, Jane. I actually, I started listening to this when we were on vacation in Phoenix, and I think I've shared this with you privately, but I was going to bed at uh, 6.30 at night, and Rob would say to me, because I needed to listen to a podcast, <laughs> and I needed not to drink, so I started uh, going to bed at 6.30, and Rob said, how come you're going to bed so early? And I says, well, you know, I just, all the sunshine and just being busy on golfing and stuff, I just am really tired today, so I think I'll just get to bed early every night. I was in bed at 6.30 at night listening to the bubble hour, and I've never, <laughs> and I've never regretted it. It saved me. Okay, I'll go back here. Every night going to bed, I would put my earbuds in and listen to the bubble hour nonstop throughout the night. Stories of hope and recovery filled my spirit. I admired each guest for being so brave, for being so open and vulnerable. Once again, seeds were planted. Seeds that would produce good fruit this time. I remember thinking, if I ever get sober, I would want to be a guest on the Bubble Hour so I can give back. After many months of listening to the Bubble Hour, I finally sent Jean an email. Jean immediately responded. Words of encouragement and support gave me the strength to say, enough is enough, no more drinking. Until I joined the BFB, my online support group, I had no idea of the importance of connection. I had spent most of my life isolating, hiding, and wearing a mask. BFB has taught me so much. They have taught me that that I am so much stronger when I am at my weakest. When I ask for help, I am made stronger. When I remove my mask, there's clarity and authenticity. When I share my story, there is healing. Right now, I'd just like to, um, my daughter had sent me a, a really, a text or an email, and I would like to share that with you now. She, she addressed this to me, at, the heading was, Love Letter from Daughter. And, um, and a part of the reason I'd like to share this with everyone right now is that, like I mentioned, I was a dry drunk for 10 years, and I didn't realize how my relapse had broken her heart and probably my all the people who love me their hearts so she entitled it love letter from daughter and again this goes back to the hiding the sneaking the lying and all the stuff that just felt, filled me with so much shame i remember being in phoenix after you bought a box of wine for your friend i would always see you go to your room with your to-go mug trying to hide the fact that you were drinking. It was evident to me. 
I could smell the alcohol, and I could see the changes in your behavior. I remember you went for a walk around the lake with your two-gold mug at hand, and I went snooping, finding that open box of wine in your closet. I went to my room that night devastated. I cried all night. I was so sad you gave up sobriety, but today I look at it differently because you had not given, given it up. Because if you had not given it up, you would still be living as a dry drunk. You are right, some things changed when you were sober, but some things didn't. So I'm glad you drank again, because this time around, you are different. I've seen so many positive changes. I believe things happen for a reason, and this is one of those things. I will always love you unconditionally. You are my hero. You really are. Even when you drank, I still looked up to you with the utmost respect. Because one thing about you when you drank is your love for your family was never changed. You and Dad gave us kids a beautiful life. That's the difference between you and your father. We were never embarrassed to bring friends around. We were never afraid. We never had to listen to anyone screaming. We felt safe, loved, and secure. And um, just going back to my my, how I feel now about not having that um, child father relationship um one time somebody asked me what was the one thing that you needed from your father and i remember answering without a moment's hesitation i needed just once to hear him say that he loved me and that he was proud of me and um but i have to say um i understand and i forgave my dad a long long time ago and that's my story Jean. oh thank you marie your your message from your daughter boy that's touching and um and hard to read i'm sure even just i could hear the emotion in your voice um knowing that she saw the the thing you were trying so hard to hide was just so evident to everyone else and um and yet how beautiful that that um even your daughter has gratitude for let's call it relapse for your decision to drink again mm-hmm. Because it brought you to true recovery and to a, a different level of healing, um, well, I just totally feel different. like that's yeah, totally different. And I, I feel like that that is such a message of hope for so many of our listeners. I've been hearing from a lot of them lately who are really struggling, and they they keep falling backwards and they keep falling backwards. But I feel like that. The message of hope in that is that keep getting up because something better is ahead. Do you think you could have believed that on that first day? Oh, absolutely, absolutely not, Jean. The only, oh, I'm sorry, Jean. The only thing that I know, my the two things, honest to goodness, Jean, that are my godsend: the bubble hour and my BFB group. Like, I would not be here today without a word of a lie, Jean. Without that, I remember um, hearing one of the first things I heard. I think again, I just I'm so thankful for this. Is that the opposite of addiction is connection, and mm-hmm. I always I just hid so much before Jean, and I know through connection I've learned to become brave. I I would never have shared any of this with my husband before. Been married for 50 years. Can you imagine that? I had, didn't have the courage to share that with my soulmate, that I've got an alcohol problem. How sad is that, Jean? So I don't know. This time around, Jean, it is so different. There is, um, and I, you know, like for me too, Jean, like when I hear um, I'm not drinking, I, I choose to say I'm choosing recovery. I just need to keep it for myself, Jean, I have to keep it in the positive affirmation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like that. And, you know, I think that's another thing is the labels. People really struggle with labels sometimes. There's, a, there's this idea that, 
well, if you quit, that means you're an alcoholic. So, and I don't want to be an alcoholic, so I don't want to quit drinking. But the fact is, well, be alcohol free, you know, there's people yeah. are gluten free and we don't call them a glutenholic or a glutenist or something like I'm Absolutely. not a glutenist because I have gluten. You're living gluten free. You're living sugar free. You're living smoke free. You're a non-smoker. So I, I really like that empowerment to like choose whatever label you want or don't choose a label if you don't want to. But I, I love what you're saying is that you're choosing recovery. And I feel like that's especially important for you because you have been alcohol free and had no growth, no healing during that time. But um, in recovery, man, like you're just blooming and growing and, and changing so much as you found the courage to really turn around and face your past. And I know how hard it was just to even probably read that letter because you spent the vast majority of your life hiding that secret, not talking about it. Um, what did it feel like the first time you really had that revelation of where it all came from? Oh, it's just, I started crying, Jean. Like, I, you know, I actually, I started to write. And I used to write when I was a kid in high school and loved writing and then let it go completely all through my life until recovery, Jean. And I was sitting here one day, and I just and I I just do this journaling every day, and I started writing. I'm just gonna see if I can um, just started to write in what I call my. It's called day one, and and I just and I I just call them things. Um, moving forward, day one, um, recovery, one day at a time. Day I choose recovery. Why I don't care. Um, yeah, why why um, uh, why I don't care for sweets. Like I don't like sweets, and when I started to write this out, I started to. To try to really go into my past, like why am I like I am? Like what? Where did this come from? And like the one on not liking sweets because I don't like sweets. I could I would never have a sweet in my lifetime, and it would never bother me. But every night, Jean, without a word of a lie, my dad brought us kids home, either a chocolate long John donut, or a uh, a chocolate bar, a cherry blossom chocolate bar, and he'd come home drunk. And there'd be five of them sitting on the counter. And that was it. My dad never hugged us. He never kissed us. We went on one holiday as a child. I was in, actually, I was in grade 12. And uh, I quickly phoned Ron and says, you've got to come pick us up. <laughs> Me up. <laughs> i got to get out of here. I was so embarrassed. But So that was my dad's affection was this chocolate bar. And to this day, I can't eat sweets. Because it just, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that, Gene, until I, like, Ron says, everybody likes chocolate, everybody likes sweets, why don't you? And I, so I started thinking about it. I've just, you know, like, even on our group, Gene, when they talk about, um, we, we, we do a self-care, like, what are you doing today for your self-care? That was really good for me, because my self-care was journaling and and opening up my heart, trying to listen to my inner voice, and being brave enough to put it on paper. And every time I do it, I think, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize this before. Like, I, Jean, I take 100 pictures. Everybody says, oh, here comes Marie with her camera. I know why. <laughs> I don't have a childhood picture, Jean. I have not one picture of my brother, my sister, my mom and dad. I have zero, Jean. Like, there wasn't one picture in our home. And so... <laughs> I'm the camera person, and I make albums for everybody. We go on a holiday with friends. I make them an album, right? And and so I'm kind of know kind of why why I am the way I am today, what I like, why I do things. Right. Yeah. And you you talked about not having early childhood memories. Um, do you think that is because it was? too traumatic like I'm I was just as you were telling that story I almost wondered if as bad as things were to your recollection do you think they were even worse before that or do you think that's just sort of when you were ready to start remembering things what what do you think is around like do you think there's something pivotal about the age of 10 or I, I don't know what do you think have you learned anything about that what what's up with that well, I did. I my my 
my my brother who's next in age to me, Bob. He we talked about it, and uh, Bob says you because I said to him one day I wanted to think about going maybe to a hypnotist because Bob remembers lots, lots more than I do, and I honestly don't actually Jean. Um, I don't remember any of my childhood at all. And I remember uh, we had a friend who's a chiropractor who I was seeing, and he asked me point blank, were you sexually molested as a child? And I says, I, I don't know, Brian. I, I really don't know. And he says, I kind of suspect you might have been. And mm-hmm. just how I guess how I reacted to a, an a, adjustment. And, yeah. I, and so when I talked to my brother about it, I didn't bring that up to him. But my brother says, leave the past alone. You don't want to go there. Yeah. Just, just, so I kind of suspect something, Gene. Because, and, you know, Gene, it was funny because with, with just before we left for Phoenix, I was driving by this playground. I'm watching these kids playing. I'm kind of smiling to myself. I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't remember a recess as a kid. I came home and said, Ron, I don't remember a recess, Gene. Mm-hmm. I I don't remember. So I have like and and you can like and my memory is so good. Today. Like I should never have Alzheimer's because every time I can't believe you remembered my name, you remembered this and that. So I I it all goes back to those early early years, Jean. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think sometimes too the things that are repressed are repressed for a reason. And, um, like, I think your brother's instincts of, like, don't go digging it up. I have heard, um, you know, some people that are experts in this stuff that I've talked to about it have, for myself, I know I had an incident when I was having, um, like, a massage with Reiki, and I became very, very panicked and emotional just out of the blue. I had no idea why. And I talked to the practitioner afterwards, and she said, well, you know, it could be that you're something from the past needs to be addressed and you're finally ready for it. But she was like, you know, don't rush into it and don't, don't just like go headlong into it because it'll come up when you're ready for it. And you, mm-hmm. you might not have all the tools quite yet to deal with it. So, um, yeah, I think there's some wisdom there, especially if you're able to get the healing that you need without doing hey, that. I you know, if you, you know what I mean? Like if you, if you were feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm still so anxious and I don't know why. Well, then maybe there's something in the past that might be helpful to look at. But I don't I, know. It, I, I, I never, you know, honestly, Jean, I would never go there with it because I'm, I've totally, you know, I, I just totally. I just, you know, it's just like my life is so wonderful now in recovery. And even before, like, to be truthful with you, I mean, I've suspected it, but it is the past. There's nothing that can be done about it. And yeah. and actually, you know, Jean, it's interesting because of all of us kids, I'm probably the one that is has had the most loving relationship towards our dad. Um, I remember when we moved to our little housing site, I would write my dad love letters love letters and when he was in the hospital dying he asked for his bible and in the bible he pulled out all the letters i had written him gene and they were all old like they were just worn out right and he says these are the most precious things in the world to me and i just and i just always believed gene that everybody has a story my dad he did the best he could with what he had I mean, there was five of us. There was very limited funding. Um, I don't know about his childhood. Like, you know, so I, I just think, you know what, everybody has a story, and what is is what it was, right? And I don't know. I just go forward. Did your dad drink right till his death, or did he ever get sober, or what happened with him? No, he he drank right till his death, Gene. Yeah. yeah he uh, Yeah, he did. He was... Uh, and he was, it was, yeah, it was, I guess the worst thing, Jean, was, I think, I, I know where my hiding comes from, Jean, because I was always hiding him, right? Like, oh, I just didn't want anybody to come over. Like, he did some really, like, I remember grade, when I was in grade 10, I got invited to uh, a, the prom by a graduation by a, a fellow in grade 12. And when he came to pick me up, my dad was just drunk as a skunk, and he was just, all over the sidewalk, like falling over the sidewalk, and and then just kind of very loud and just awful, Gene. And 
and I, this guy and I had hardly known each other, and it was just like, oh my gosh, like when you're in grade twelve or grade ten, like I would have been like maybe fifteen years old. How embarrassing, right? And of course, he just—he was just awful, Gene. Like, so I was always hiding, Gene. Like, you know, always hiding the fact that I didn't want anybody. And it's funny because I had like three girlfriends that we were super close. I mean, we shared everything, except I never shared about my dad. I was too ashamed and embarrassed. And so this and is really—it's confusing to listen to Marie because on the one hand, like you had so much shame and I'm guessing resentment or maybe anger towards him. I don't know. I don't oh. want to put words in your mouth, but then by the same token, you were very loving towards him. So well, that's after we got married. I just, you know, it's just, a, and I guess, you know, I just compassion gene, right? Like I think because my, my, I have a sister who absolutely to this day still uses the word hate towards our father, right? And I just think when you hold that within you, it poisons you. And I just mm. think, you know, I just, I do, I have compassion. Um, at, at the time, Jim, when I was growing up, yes, I was angry, I was resentful, I was embarrassed, I was ashamed. Um, it was not a nice life as a, a child growing up in that home. And yet, when I got married, and we've now moved away, so I'm not living in this, I, I, I don't know, Jean. I was able to let it go. Hmm. That's really that's that is interesting because I'm, I can almost guarantee people are listening who can't and wish they could. Um, I know for me, and and I didn't have traumatic experiences as a child with my dad, but I definitely had some hardships as an adult that came more probably from some of his um, illness-related dementia before he died, but it was very bitter and confusing. And I grieved. I grieved so powerfully the fact that my dad... um, had been unkind or, you know, I like maybe that I had him on a pedestal and, and I had to face the reality of what he was. So I experienced a lot of grief and um, maybe your whole childhood was grief. <laughs> maybe it you were done with that. And when you left, oh, it, you were ready. For like the there was, place. there was nothing else to grieve. Jean. Like when I got married, yeah. I mean, I was, I mean, married my childhood sweetheart. We were starting a, a new chapter of our lives. I mean, and, and I, my mom was just my hero, and I used to say to my mom, like, why don't you leave? You need to get out of here. And she says, we're married. I love him. And uh, and so I guess she taught me that, you know, perseverance and you stick together, and I don't know if that's right or not. I, I wish she hadn't. You know, I looked at her life, and it was a living hell. And um, But it's interesting, Jean, like five kids in our family – um, all of us married to our soulmates and um, doing well, like in terms of our relationships with our families, like really close relationships. Like I've always been super close to, um, as a mother and grandmother with our children and grandkids. And with my brothers and sister, it's the same thing. We have, we've been blessed to have found the right soulmate for each of us. Mm-hmm. I think relationships for each of us was very, very important. Yeah. And you had a good relationship with your mom until she passed away, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And what you, you mentioned it just quickly at the beginning, but um, you only learned later on what she had gone through as a little girl being sent away from her family and going to, through just the most unimaginable mm-hmm. trauma and um I know that that really made you have even greater respect and admiration for her for what she went through. And she protected her little sister the same way you protected your little sister mm-hmm. from different things. But um, yes. I guess you both have that that um, kinship about that being the protector in you. Um, I jotted down some other questions. So let me ask you about a few things you mentioned. Um, you use the word control a lot as you were talking about, um, you know, your, just your growing up and how it led you to a need to control. And now that you have 
um, learned a lot and moved on and are healing some of that, does that still resonate for you? Or what does control feel like for you? What do you do when you start to feel that that need for control? Oh, I, I just, it's really eased up so much, Jean. Like, um, just little things like ground say, you know, like, where do you want to go for supper? Like, something easy like that, right? It doesn't matter, wherever you want to go. I mean, if I really wanted to have something, I would be, I've learned my control uh, for things that I really want. I speak the truth. But if it's some, like, little thing, it's like, it's just, not sweating the small stuff. It's just like I don't need to be in, in control. And, and I also share w- way more now, too, because I think when I was in control, I know when I was in, being, trying to be in control all the time, I never shared, Jean. Mm-hmm. I never shared, right? Like I took care of all of our finances. I wasn't going to share that information. But now I share honestly and openly about everything in our lives. And it, so I don't feel I have that need um, to control. So how has that affected your marriage then? Do you feel like your marriage is quite, um, is even deeper? I mean, you've you've said that Ron is your soulmate and that's a really fortunate, lovely thing. And yet, you know, you still had this experience of hiding things from him and and having Mm -hmm. feelings that you kept to yourself and things that you kept to yourself. So are you guys closer now? Like has, has your um, sobriety affected your marriage? Oh, yes, it certainly has, Jean. We uh, we're closer now than we we have ever been. It just there's just so much um, so freeing, um, and he listens. And I think he, well, first of all, I asked for forgiveness. I said, I don't know how you put up with some of the stuff, right? And I I apologized. And I my most embarrassing moment, Jean, ever with Ron, my most embarrassing, I still cringe to think about to this day, um, we were, um, I used to write Ron letters if I was mad because I couldn't verbalize, but boy, can I write? <laughs> so I, <laughs> and you know, right, and then you're not facing them because I could never look some, you know, look at him and tell him what was bothering me because I never learned to do that and it was made me really, really uncomfortable but anyways, one night I was mad. I don't even remember what I was mad about, but I wrote Ron a letter. Of course, I was drinking. And so he's in bed, and I'm writing this letter. And when I get up the next morning, he's sitting in his chair with his coffee cup in the living room. And on our coffee table, Jean, was an empty bottle of vodka. And he mm. said to me, is this where that letter came from? And... um I'll never forget the hurt look in his face, in his eyes. And, um, yeah, and that's where it did come from. Mm-hmm. So I have no more of that, Jean. There's, you know, mm-hmm. if I need to say something, I speak I speak in truth now, Jean. Like, if I feel it, I say it, and I say it with love. And, um, yeah, that. and, you know, Jean, even after that, um how bad I felt doing that to, like, my husband's amazing. Like, everybody says, does he have a brother? He's just amazing. But even <laughs> after I did that, that I still continued to drink. Mm-hmm. That didn't wasn't my bottom. I had no bottom on the day I decided to quit drinking. There was no bottom for me. I just, even, like, the, my first, when I was sober for 10 years, I had no, nothing happened like that caused me to all of a sudden to think about and this time too there is nothing that you know but I knew my life could be better I had hope and honestly Jean without a word of a lie the bubble hour was divine intervention how I ever found that podcast is beyond me totally beyond me and I listened to one episode and I listen still every single night, every night. Not a <laughs> night has gone. I'm serious, Jean. I'm not just saying that. When I say every, I mean every night I listen to it. 
That's amazing. I think I've this makes you a super fan. Like, I'm a nerdy Survivor watcher, and they always talk about super fans of Survivor. And I feel like now the Bubble Hour has a super fan. because <laughs> You do. Well, I told Becky today, I, or my friend, I said, I have listened to you three times already. And I have. And I've listened to Shelly three times. <laughs> Oh yeah, Aww. everybody. I just appreciate. I just appreciate so much what you do, Gina, and everyone in our group. I so so much. Now, we've, you've mentioned the group a little bit, so I'll just let listeners know because I often people often write and ask me this. Um, if you go on my blog, unpickledblog.com, and click on resources, so unpickledblog.com/resources, I have a list of things there, and that includes online groups. So we happen to be in an online group, and I have one uh, little bit of information about it on my blog for the Yahoo group, the BFB group. We're in a different form of that, but you can start there. But there's also Mrs. D has a a group. Um, There's women uh, for sobriety. There's a whole bunch of amazing online groups and there's even more. It's growing. And um, so anyway, just if someone is, is wondering what the heck we're talking about, just start there, go over to Unpickled Blog and look under resources and you'll, you'll see some starting points for, uh, for how to join an online group. And it, I don't even think it matters which one you join. Just get in there and get connecting with people because, as Marie has said, connection is huge. Connection made the difference for you, I think, Marie. I think it, like, you're such a people person and you're so big-hearted, but I don't know that you've really ever in your life let other people do things for you and that's what you seem to be experiencing. It is the give and take of connecting with other people in recovery. Isn't it amazing what that does? Oh, my gosh, Jean. It's, yeah, I've had a couple people reach out for, for to me, and it's like, I'm so honored. Like, you're reaching to me? It's like, oh, my goodness. It just is, it is absolutely amazing. And, and, and yeah, and it's just... Well, they're the, it's the best ever, Jean. Like honestly, Jean, like I said, I am your superhero uh, for you or your spokesperson because I would not be here, honestly. I honestly would not be here today where I'm at in my life without the bubble hour number one that led me to be a thief. There's absolutely no way. There's absolutely yeah. no way, Jean. And so, I, yeah. like I feel like other tools could have got you there, but those are the ones that came, crossed your path, and you grabbed on. And, you know, like there's a million ways to get sober. There's a million ways to connect with people. Mm-hmm. And we try and talk about as many as we can on this program. And it's been a while since I've talked about things like smart recovery, refuge recovery, life mm-hmm. ring, Alcoholics Anonymous, um, for whatever people works. that, yeah, whatever works, but go do something and go mm-hmm. talk to people and don't be afraid. And, um, listening to for me listening to the bubble hour was like pouring water on a plant because as you said earlier um, addiction is the opposite of connection when we're struggling with our ism whatever it is uh, we just our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and our day becomes about less and less and less things and it's just like a little remember at the end of the cartoons how like the spotlight used to kind of close in on (laughs) the end remember that that's kind of how it is with addiction it's like it just the spotlight of your life just closes it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and it's just you and whatever it is that you're obsessing about whether it's alcohol drugs people shopping gambling um world of warcraft um you know hgtv (laughs) (laughs) everything gets smaller (laughs) well it's funny i think that back open again sorry i know for me i'm so i'm sorry i know for myself too that i think the one thing that like at the end of 2017 where i just it just really got me is that uh, that I am enough, I have enough, and I do enough. Um, and I know, like, my dad, he was a, sh- a shopaholic for food. <laughs> he would go to Safeway and buy, uh, I don't know how many day-old meat, but he'd buy it, and he'd give it away, like, truthfully, to neighbors. And when we come drive to drive down to Calgary, he'd give us boxes of meat that all was freezer burned. But, boy, did he get it for a good price 
Like, I'm sure they just gave it to him. And I did the same thing, Dean. I was clothes and purses. And I think that, for me, was because I needed uh, for outside appearances, right, just to always. So I gave away, I've given away purses and clothes that still had price tags on them, Jean. I, I hadn't even yeah. worn them. And so, again, that, so my husband has been retired for, like, six years now, and I continued to work. And always struggling with the idea, maybe I should retire. Oh, no, I'm not going to retire. But in 2017, I realized I have enough, and I definitely am enough, and I do enough. And I've never regretted it, Jean. And it's been just, that was a huge part of my recovery, too. That was a huge mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah. That is a that is a, a big unburdening, because it's a heavy load to care when, carry when you feel like you always have to hide, protect yourself, earn your place in the world by giving things away and by making people like you, by protecting the people around you. Like, I mean, that is just unbridled, rampant codependence is the word for it. And it's rooted in exactly the childhood you experienced. Um, and I mean, I had the same typical behaviors from different experiences and, um, it is it is a really great feeling to let it go. And it, it was a real eye-opener to me to realize that the, my affinity for clothing and um, perfectionism and all that was related to drinking. Like, I really had no idea those things were connected. Mm-hmm. I just sort of felt like drinking was the only imperfect thing. And when I fixed that, everything would be perfect. I had no idea that I was going to have to deal with all that other stuff and that it would feel so good to deal with it. I mean, if someone told you you were going to give away all that stuff you didn't need, that probably would have terrified you before <laughs> you were ready to do that. You would have, re- like, really, it would have been really anxiety-provoking. But no, it feels so different good. now. Yeah. yeah my, whole life, my whole life is totally different now, Jean. I, I'm at such a, um, like... <laughs> I color. I think I'm addicted to coloring, but I, I color for I color for two hours a day now. But it's just my space. And I know one thing I've heard on on the bubble hour, Jean, that I I really appreciate it appreciate it appreciate is the fact that when you are struggling around that time, do things totally different. Like if you mm-hmm. you know um, whatever, like go in a different door, or whatever. And for myself, I always, we would sit down at night and watch movies, and I'd always have a drink in my hand. And now, I've, I, we still watch our movies, but I'm coloring now. Mm-hmm. And so I've got a little, I got one of those little lap things for my coloring book, and I've got my little pencil crayons, and I'm just in my own little world listening to the show and coloring, and I'm just, I think, I just feel wonderful right now. Like, that's my feeling within my spirit. I'm just... I feel so much gratitude that I'm we're at such a place of peace in my life. That is awesome. Coloring has really become a big thing and I feel like it's it's sort of meditation and creation, but it's self-soothing, right? I mean, that's really we use alcohol to self-soothe. Do you feel that way? Like do you feel like it calms you or what goes on in your head while you're doing it? You like you just happy? Just happy like, happy? It, just what you described it's self-soothing, Jean. You said it perfectly, Jean. That's exactly what it is. And actually, we just got we recently were in Mexico, um, and of course, an all-inclusive, and so lots of drinking going around. And I'd get up early and get my little table and get my little pencil crayons out, of my my coloring book. And I'd sit there all day, and we'd either read and play cards and and color. And I said to Ron when I was coloring, he says, "I just every time I color, I get the feeling that I'm in Mexico. Is this that?" Oh, what a great, this is wonderful. And oh, so there's is, some association just, there, too. That's neat. But there was, yeah, but there was, but when I started coloring last year in October, um, or, or, or in spring, like um, at Christmas time, I had that same association. It was just, I just felt at ease, Gina. It's like, like mm. you're right, it is, for me, it, it is definitely self, self-soothing. <laughs> yeah. So do you, um, have you had to curb the urge to buy more pencils and buy more coloring books? Has your, has your enough um, kicked in when it comes to coloring or are you, are you a little bit out of control in that department? No. Because that's okay I, if you are. <laughs> no, I, you know, in 20, 
just, you know, New Year's resolutions. Well, I don't usually make them, but I said to my husband just before New Year's, I said, Ron, well, I was decluttering, which was great, all my clothes, and just thinking, okay, I'm giving this away, this way. So anyways, gave away three suitcases full of clothes, and I said to Ron, I'm not going to buy any clothes in 2018. I'm not spending one penny on clothes, and I haven't. Now, my coloring pencils, yes, I will buy them, only as they're down to like maybe two inches long. Oh, that's fair. And my friends know I really, really like um, coloring, so I often, one of my retirement gifts from where I worked was a coloring book, which was nice, and my my grandson's girlfriend also, she bought me a little gift of a coloring book, so I've got like four coloring books, and I did order two on Amazon while I was here, and I really liked them. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, and I try to do every single page, and I'll skip pages if I don't like what's on them. And, yeah, it's great, Jean. That is so neat. Well, uh, we're just about out of time, so I have a couple other questions to ask you. And one you had talked about coping with failure and that you drank to cope with failure, and you it snowballed, right? You were, you were drinking to hide the shame that you felt, and then you were experiencing you were experiencing failure but it was uh, anyway it was all kind of a tangled mess Mm -hmm. in the time since you quit drinking has there been anything that you felt like you failed at and that you faced it differently like how what's different now there um uh, like i can give you a little story just uh um but I don't. I, I I handle I handle things better now, Jean. Like yeah. at um, Christmas time, we had a situation where um, some um, actually it was our grandson was disrespectful to his mom verbally, and before I would have stepped in and I would have put my two cents worth in or whatever, and I chose. I listened, and I chose to pause. And my daughter left the room, and she was, you can tell, she was very, very upset by what had happened. And I thought, I'm not saying a word to her grandson. And I went into the room, and I was with with our daughter, who I needed to be with, and uh, comforted her. And next day, I had mentioned to my husband, I'm so glad I paused, because now that he owns it, I don't own any part of what he did. So mm. that pausing for me has become a really important part of my life. If I'm over um, overtired, I pause. Like, okay, we done enough for today. Like, if we do a project and we done enough, pause and think about, yeah, we have done enough. Let's just put it away for today. So, I'm just different, Jean. I just that, that pausing for me has been huge. It's learning the that. tools of it's learning the tools of sobriety, Jean. That. I never had tools in my sobriety toolbox before because when this was happening at Christmas time, actually Christmas Eve, I know without a shadow of a doubt, Jean, I would have been in there giving them my two cents worth and, you know, been really upset. And I just remember, like, pause and just did what I kind of was taught. And it worked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the more I I love it, it, the more... And the more I do that, Jean, the more the more it becomes a second nature. The more you can practice those tools and use them. And gratitude for me too has been a huge part of my recovery. Being thankful well, and do you do a formal gratitude or do you write a gratitude list or do you just sort of take time to think about the things you're grateful for? I, I don't do a list every day, but I do, um, when I journal, I if, like do one of my journals in a day, I will, I feel blessed, and I say that lots, and I know my sobriety is a blessing, and, and if I share with people, I use the word blessed a lot, because I truthfully feel, I feel like I have been so blessed, Jean. Mm. And, and, you know, and then I, I really appreciated what our daughter said about you know, like, okay, I went back to drinking, but I kind of agree, Jean, like, I don't know if I kept being a dry drunk, if I would have ever recovered, and I would think I'm kind of, I'm really happy, Jean, that how it turned out at the end, like, yeah, I had no, I had no idea about recovery, I didn't have a clue what it was about, I didn't even know, the, know about it. 
I, yeah, I love that it, it found you and, um, that makes you one of the lucky ones, you know, and, um, because a lot of people have to go through a lot and fight hard to, I don't know, they, they, you know, they go through a long, long time before they find it. And, um, I guess I I wonder sometimes when things like that happen. Well, I don't know. I was going to get all like, oh, maybe there's a purpose for it or whatever. But honestly, what I really believe is that everything happens with potential. And so you, something happened to you and you not only like squeezed every bit of good juice out of it, but now you're sharing it with others. And, and then it just, I feel like it grows exponentially when we do that because well, the the learning have, just right? never stops, right? We're just never done. Mm-mm. And you just want everyone to be in the place we're at. You just want that because you know, because we understand the pain and the suffering yeah. and all of that. And yeah. I hated it, Jean. I hated having to drink. And that's what it felt like. I felt like I was a prisoner yeah. like, for so long. Just, you know, like, and now it's like I feel so free. And I think yeah. the freedom brings me that feeling of peace. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It just, yeah, it's wonderful. Oh, I love that. Well, that's happy. That's a happy thought to wind up our conversation on because we're just coming to the end of our hour here. So before I let you go, um, do you just have any words of encouragement or um, any suggestions for somebody who's having a bad day or struggling to get through or wants you know, a happy thought to stick in their pocket for later? Oh, well, anybody who's listening, you're here maybe by divine intervention like I ended up on the bubble hour. But I know if you are here, it's meant to be. And um, you're here because you have hope for the future. Just hang in there because it will come. And, And I heard once, I work on my recovery because, boy, I spend a lot of time drinking. And I just feel now that... I'm investing in myself and in my future, and then it's a gift I can give my family and just to never give up. And I don't know. It's just like they say the miracle is just around the corner, and I certainly believe that. I would have had no idea that I'd be celebrating a year a couple of years ago, <laughs> but it is there, and it's ready to happen for you too. And, and please, please, please reach out. Please reach out. Like, don't be embarrassed, and, you know, go slowly. Do it at your own pace, but just just hang in there and reach out connect that's lovely well um i guess we'll leave it at that and i just want to thank you and it's nice to hear your voice oh, and it's you too jean it's an honor to share this journey with you and to share it with everybody that's listening it it just i i smile so much when i'm doing this show because i just i, I feel like we're just part of this invisible sort of sparkly net that covers you know the world and connects us all and we can't see it we can't touch it but we're all there and um i'm grateful to be part of it yeah we're so fortunate to do through the internet and podcasts that we have that avenue because i know i would i this is the avenue i would choose for myself so i feel so i'm so fortunate that this was available for myself and for everybody else out there who who's also searching Exactly. Okay, so listeners, if you would like to give uh, some feedback to Marie, you can email it to me, thebubblehour at gmail.com, and I'll make sure she gets it. And you could also uh, go to my Facebook page, The Bubble Hour on Facebook, and uh, you can send a private message through there too, which I can um, screenshot and uh, still anonymously send on to Marie if you would like. And um, I guess... With these warm and cozy thoughts, we'll end our conversation for today. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And until next time, from me and Marie, take good care. Uh, Thank you so much. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for just want to be free from power, weakness head on me. In a dark 
Just want to 